back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Thunder Wizards game, Darius Baisley's career night, and also Moses Brown and kind of what has been going on with him. But just starting it off with the game in general, you already had the Thunder. They were coming in against the Wizards. They played against the Toronto Raptors in Tampa, Florida two days ago, had to take a major trip to the nation's capital. You'd think they're a little bit jet-lagged, and you compound that with the fact they've dropped 10 in a row. It's not really a good recipe for success, but the Washington Wizards, I mean, they are not the most promising team in the Eastern Conference right now. I mean, even entering the game against the Thunder, they were doing all right. Like, they had won their last four games, but... Overall, they were only 23 and 33, so they were, you know, deadlocked for like the eighth best lottery odds. So they were really hot, but it wasn't like they were a major force to be reckoned with in the league, at least in the current moment. They have Bradley Bill and they have Russell Westbrook, but you know, this wasn't like a Warriors team or or something like that where Steph Curry's been getting damn near like 50 points a game this month, which is kind of wild. But they still have great group of guys but anyways I think entering the game there was a slight advantage towards Washington anyways because the back-to-back set for the Thunder and just due to the nature of how both teams have been they've kind of been on different paths Washington's been doing well Thunder they just have not and it didn't help that Lou Dort their best player in the month didn't even play in the game he was sidelined due to an apparent hip injury so they didn't see time from him and said you got to see Kenrich Williams fill the void in the starting lineup but just going into how the game started out didn't start out too well for the Thunder Washington went on a 15-6 run in the first three minutes and they ended up getting their 15th point off of a four-point swing so it started with Raul Neto crashing inside for a layup he ended up finishing it and then the ball immediately drops to the ground. Pogoshevsky instantly just snagged it. And he took, you know, a step or two to the out-of-bounds line to try to throw it back in. But he really wasn't paying much attention. He just saw Teo Maladone in his um, right view. So he's trying to dish it down. And Maladone's like right under the basket, close to it at least. And there was no time. I mean, really, Raul Neto... He hits his shot, and probably in around a second or so, you got the ball inbounded by Poku. And the Wizards, not all of them were already running back. Bradley Beal was just in the passing lane, just waiting to bait Poku. Threw it right at Maladone, and he grabbed it and got two easy points. So Mark Dagnall had to have been furious about that. So he ended up having to call a timeout to try to stop the bleeding. And they did for a brief moment in time because there were three players who were just playing out of their mind for the moment. Baisley, Poku, and Kenrich Williams. I believe Bays and Poku dropped seven points and Williams had five in the span, but they amassed the team's first 19 points. So it really helped them. They were able to kind of dwindle the lead down, got it to six points. But then when Mark Dagnall wanted to kind of scrap them out and put in the second unit guys, it was back to more issues. And Washington, they went on another major run, an 11-4 spurt to get them up double digits. 
and they held the double-digit lead until the end of the first 12. They were up 38-25, to 25, and Oklahoma City's major concerns in the first really just came from fouling. They had 10 personal fouls in the first quarter. That is really bad. Uh, when you're talking like college basketball, when you see people getting the double bonus, I mean, they would have been in the double bonus in around 10 minutes, probably based on what they were doing. I mean, they were way too scrappy and the whistle just kept going in Washington's favor. So Washington, they had 12 free throw attempts and sunk nine of them. But going into the second Thunder, they wanted to try to kind of clap back. They were not able to do so though. And this is kind of a common theme for the Thunder. You know, in the first half of the season, you saw guys like Diallo just dominating as the ball handler and getting us back into games. Has been working lately. So you have the second unit out there and just in free fall mode. They go up 15 points in the first three minutes. And at that point, that is a huge gap. And in order to overcome that, Obviously, you have about, what, like 33 minutes, so it's not all that bad. You can kind of just meet them shot for shot, and eventually you'll get there. But if you're trying to cover ground fast, you not only need to be hitting on offense, but defensively, you need to be getting those stops. And they only had one of those two things. That's not really going to get you anywhere when you're down that many points. They were kind of just hitting bucket for bucket with the Washington Wizards, and that just was not going to be good enough. But... Luckily, you know, the Wizards, their hot streak kind of fizzled out, and Oklahoma City, they got their starting unit out there, immediately dropped six straight points, say goodbye to that double-digit lead. They had it cut to single digits, and they were looking to make a comeback, but then there was a little bit of a road bump with Moses Brown. He was already in major foul trouble, but he got reinserted in the lineup, and he picked up another foul fourth foul in the game and there's still four minutes to go in the first half that is major and immediately after that foul he had to get sent back onto the sidelines hurt them just a little bit there and they had to put out Tony Bradley again who did well but obviously when you do have centers you want to try to balance the minutes out a little bit so it did hurt in terms of rotation flexibility Mark Dagnall's hand kind of got forced there on having to use Bradley just a little bit early but whenever they got Brown out put Bradley in as I said there was a hiccup just a little bit but Alexei Pokashevsky he kind of redeemed it and we've seen Poku have just really up and down games where he's airballing shots and then doing crazy stuff exactly what happened in about a one or two minute span because he had a wide open pull-up mid-range left it short like I'm talking air ball. I think the ball like actually hit the out of bounds line too. Like no one was even close to the interior either. Just a complete whiff. But on the next possession, he just looked like an all-star. He took the ball up. He was at the top of the key, drove inside, looked like he was going to be attacking from the left part of the rim. And he did his little gather move. You've seen his gather. Like when he picks up the ball and takes like one more stride, He's covering a lot of distance. Like, if he has a half a step advantage on you as he's attacking the lane, as he's gathering, he's he's gone. And that's what he did. And because of it, there had to be extra help right below the basket. 
and he's playing in third person like this play you don't see this outside of like nba 2k he ended up spotting right below the rim tony bradley did a no look behind the back dime to him perfect right at the chest as i said he pulled two guys in so no one was under the rim and tony bradley was just easily able to put up two points there so they were looking good and then on the very next play even more momentum moved moved their way because darius Baisley he wanted to keep going on the inside and he was trying to finish off an isolation play and he runs right into alex lynn i think he tried doing a sidestep or something to try to create movement or get get open i suppose but it didn't work and alex lynn did not move and he pretty much just folded him like darius Baisley got just overcome by him like i'm talking not even close to being vertical with alex lynn like moving towards him Baisley falls down on the ground and they called it just original foul but after looking at the monitor it was a flagrant one and michael cage even thought it was going to be a flagrant two take it as you will but it did look pretty nasty like it was not at the ball whatsoever but they gave him a flagrant one for it darius Baisley sunk one of those free throws and if they were to cap it off with like a three or something you would have been talking about just a player two away from reclaiming the lead but they didn't punctuate on that second chance they had and because of that the washington wizards were able to kind of move away from their streak but there was still a good bit of time to be played and oklahoma city they started knocking back on that doorstep after a pokashevsky three and a teo maladone three in two consecutive drives but their hopes of getting the advantage going in the half they got shattered they got down to three off those two triples but davis bertons he was on fire in the first from distance he hit a buzzer beater 27 foot left wing three to get the game 64 to 58 in washington's advantage and looking at the halftime box score it didn't even seem like oklahoma city had a real place in this game they shot 45 percent in the first half washington shot 57 percent the only reason the thunder had a clear shot was because of what they were doing from the perimeter eight of 18 from distance washington they were shooting a mere three of 12 so 15 points were picked up from beyond the arc and that honestly could have flipped it their way but the issue was the fouling was still a major issue they had eight more fouls in that second quarter 18 and a half and washington because of it got 23 free throw attempts almost double what okc had they only had 12 and it didn't help either because the thunder they also had double the amount of turnovers as the wizards they had 12 turnovers washington only had six it's been their achilles heel in these last 10 i guess now 11 games turnovers have been a major major bug for them and that's exactly what happened in the first 24 so going in the next 24 if they wanted a chance they needed to sure up in that spot but they were not able to do that especially at the beginning washington got on another hot streak scored seven consecutive points to take back a double digit lead in oklahoma city 
They were trying to get back in the game, but it was just like the second quarter, trading off shot for shot. And now it was from three. Like Fima Kailuk, he hit a corner triple to get it down to uh, single digits. Next play, the Wizards, they splash home a three. So right back at each other. The lead was not moving for Washington. And the only way the Thunder were going to be able to have a shot in the fourth was a major push at the end of the third. And they got it in a 6-0 run. But despite it, they were still down 7 points. They were down 88-81. to And it almost was 88-79. to I would have said it was 88-79. to Because the final play was literally shot with .1 seconds left on the clock. Svima Kailuk took it coast to coast, made a right-handed finger roll, barely got off the fingertips in time, hit softly against the back iron, and dropped in. They had to check the review monitor for about five minutes. Typically, in one of these like Bally Sports, Fox Sports games, you'll get a like two to three minute break between quarters. Nothing too serious. But in this one, you had your commercials, you had your Cox home life, Where's my ice cream? Whatever that commercial was. You had that maybe like three, four times. And you go back and it's coverage of the refs still looking at the monitors. So it took them a decent amount of time. Looks like they must have gotten the call right. And as a Thunder fan and as someone who wants the Thunder to win, you're not going to be complaining about Shvi getting an extra two points on the board. So heading into the fourth, you still had a decent chance. And they had a really good chance after they went on a 9-4 run to begin the fourth quarter. Got it down to a one-possession game with nine minutes to go. And this is when I was just almost, not, not really furious, but I was a little bit irritated by this. But Scott Brooks, he makes a lineup change. He puts Robin Lopez, of all people, on the floor in a one-possession game in the fourth quarter like this is serious minutes i don't even remember seeing robin lopez more than like three minutes all game scott brooks puts him in there and i put it out as a tweet like is this just a product of scott brooks flawed coaching at times or is this just a blatant tank attempt i thought that it was a blatant tank attempt at first and if it was it totally backfired because out of all people on the roster, Robin Lopez was their savior. Snapped OKC's chances of taking a lead. He had two straight shots right around the basket before Beal and Bertans both hit threes. And they got up seven points. In the midst of that, you had like one or two Thunder Buckets. But it didn't matter. The momentum, say goodbye to it. It was gone. It was in Washington's side, if anything. And they got back up to seven in like a one minute span. And even continuing off that, they were still on fire. And you had Lopez inside. He was the anchor. Tony Bradley, Brown, whoever it was, couldn't guard him. And then from three, everybody was heating up. You had Davis Bertans, Bradley Beal. Even Russell Westbrook was getting in on the action. When he hit a three, oh, that's almost when you sound the alarm and say, you just lost your 11th straight game. But they got that three off of Westbrook, and it helped get them up nine points, 114 to 105, with just right over three minutes to go. And Robin Lopez, he ended up scoring two more 
field goals in a row to get them up 13 points. And, you know, the Thunder, they made it hard even when they're down double digits with the last couple, you know, possessions remaining in games. But they couldn't close it off. I mean, when they had 13 points, that was kind of when you knew it was done for. Like, when they keep it at single digits, you're at the edge of your seat. This one was, you know, Russell Westbrook chilling at the timeline and letting the buzzer just sound off. They won by a Baker's dozen, 119 to 107 in the game. And because of it, now they are on a five-game winning streak for the Wizards. And they are actually tied for a playing spot. Thunder, on the other hand, that loss ended up being their 11th in a row, and now they are 20-38. and 38. That is fifth best in the lottery standing, still just a half game ahead of the Cleveland Cavaliers. But just looking at how everybody did in this game, you need to start with how the Washington Wizards did. Amazing work closing out the game, but they had players really being serviceable all night long. They had five guys in double figures and their two superstars. They made sure to show up in the game. Bradley Beal had 30 points, went 12 of 21 from the floor, also had three steals. But Russell Westbrook, we've seen him in Oklahoma City. Like when he starts feeling it as, you know, a distributor, rebounder, scorer, whatever it is, it's hard to kind of cut him off. And you had Darius Baisley trying to guard Westbrook all night long. Did a good good effort uh, in terms of making sure he couldn't score. He only had 13 points on 5 of 18 shooting. But everywhere else, he was going wild. He had 11 rebounds. That's something we're all kind of accustomed to. But he had 17 assists on the game. He almost was about to break Oklahoma City's team total. I think the Thunder only had around 23 in the game so it kind of gives you a uh, a little bit of a baseline as to what Russ was doing he was just running the offense from start to finish and yeah we were able to shut him down in one area but when he is able to distribute he's just as deadly and people don't ever really give him credit for that side of his game or just in general very underrated guy but yeah he was uh he was definitely at his best and you still had people like Davis Bertans off the bench dropping a 20-piece himself. He had 21 points, went 6 of 12, and all 12 of his shots came from 3. I think I read something online where he attempts less than one field goal a game inside, but he's kind of on track to average double digits. That's not an occurrence that you're going to see every day. I think that'd be the first time in NBA history a player would do it, and I guess off of this, you can tell why he'd be the first player to do it. He's just jacking up from downtown. He's like six foot ten, got that Poku body. I don't know if he's over two hundred pounds or not, but he's he's really slim, and he's able to get his jumper off relatively fast. And he was left open off of some of the driving dishes created by Russell Westbrook, and he helped him out a lot. Another man who helped him out, Robin Lopez, seven of nine on the game to get seventeen points and two rebounds, and of those seventeen points. He ended up scoring almost all of them in the fourth quarter. He had 10 of his points in the fourth, going 4 of 4 from the floor. And he also sunk two free throws as well. So they were really good just as a unit. Uh, They didn't have the greatest three-point shooting game. They only went 10 of 31. 
but they had 29 free throws attempted. So it was still one of those trade-off situations that they ended up winning off of. And then also, when you had guys like Lopez working inside, they shot a hair over 50% in this game. And when you look at the Thunder, they could not really maintain high levels of shooting. They shot 43% on the game, shot well from three. They went 13 of 33 to shoot 39%. And from the free throw line, they actually were all right. They were 22 of 27. That is around 82%. We've seen in previous games, they've been shooting in the 60s and 70s from the free throw line. Guess Dagnault was just making them shoot free throws all practice long, and it must have paid off for them. But one thing that they still have not been able to solve has been the turnovers. Almost had more turnovers than they had assists. Again, 19 turnovers to 23 assists. That is a really bad ratio. When you kind of compare it to what the Washington Wizards did in the game, they ended up having 19 turnovers as well, but they also had 31 assists to go along with it. So it's a little bit different when you're talking about what you're letting go and what you're able to accrue off of passing the basketball around. When it came to making shots, 66% of them came off of assists. They had 36 made field goals, 23 assists on it for the Thunder, but still not good enough with all those empty possessions just resulting in extra points for the Washington Wizards. But there were still a couple of good gems in this game. And Darius Baisley, he had his best performance maybe of his career. I thought he did a really good job. Kind of had to take that superstar role. No SGA, no Lou Dort. So he had 26 on the game. That's a career high. Went 7 of 19 from the field. And he also had 7 rebounds. Think something that you need to talk about too. As I mentioned, he was guarding Russell Westbrook on the other end of the spectrum. Lou Dort, when he dropped 42 against the Utah Jazz, it wasn't just 42 points. It was 42 points plus clamping up Donovan Mitchell for the entire game. For Darius Baisley, it was 26 points and playing solid defense against Russell Westbrook all game. Russell Westbrook wasn't able to score. He had to find other avenues to get himself kind of involved on the offensive end. Did so, but it wasn't like Westbrook was dropping 30 points on Darius Baisley's head or anything. So he was great, but the way he was scoring, it wasn't really all three levels. And when he's dropping over 20 points, you'd imagine it's because he's unlocked his three-point shooting. Wasn't the case here. Shot one of six from downtown. Right back to what we've seen with those inconsistencies. But he's been consistent just right around the basket. So he ended up going six of 13 on twos. But that's not going to get you 26. What gave you those 26 were the free throw attempts. He had 13 free throws on the game and made 11 of them. The only way he's getting those free throws is being physical. We've seen him unlock kind of his rough side of his game. He's not going to be scared of players anymore. Like he has looked hesitant in his rookie year. And whenever he was super cold to start his sophomore campaign, he's not doing that anymore. He is going to crash to the basket. He'll make some sort of extra move to try to create space. And if it's a bad result, 
He's not going to have his head down moping around anymore. He's going to be going at you two times as strong. And that's why he's able to be so effective on the box score. So he had almost half of the Thunder's total free throws with them having 27. And he did it because of how he was just going right at them all game long. And Mark Dagnall, he wanted to mention this. He was talking about how Baisley, you know, he went from playing a starting role in Tampa yesterday, or I guess two days ago, now that you're listening to it now, but then he comes back, heads over to Washington, D.C., gets off the plane, and I think it was like 3 a.m. when he got there, from what Dagnall said, and he just plays great defense on Russell Westbrook and has a career game. So he's trending upwards. It's still a factor of when is he going to be able to fully embrace himself from downtown and can he be able to do that because he is a finisher around the basket but you want to get him to a point where that's not his only threat because if you get to that standpoint teams can easily game plan around that or at least make make themselves a little bit more used to his style of play I don't think it's at a point right now where he is the number one guy on coaches game plans if it ever gets to a point where he's in the top echelon of what coaches are trying to stop. I don't know if the lane's going to be there every time for him. And if it's not there for him, he's going to have to go back to kind of pull up jumpers and catch and shoot shots. He hasn't looked good on catch and shoots. When he's dribbling the ball around, he's actually a little better when it comes to shooting. So he's good with the ball, but just unlock more capabilities from three and 26 points is going to look like nothing come next year. But behind him, you had big man Tony Bradley he keeps playing extremely well to the point where you are talking about should he be starting over Moses Brown I don't want to bring up that conversation today but he had 16 points on seven of nine shooting just comes from him working around the cup just like Moses Brown does you just lurk there wait until your matchup kind of loses sight of you and then call for the ball and you get two points so he was just really focusing on the fundamentals as always When you talk about how he's able to do it, I mean, he's got a super soft touch around the glass. Like, he is actually shooting contested post hooks and still sinking them, like, two times out of uh, three. So, he's been great. And he really helped out because of Moses Brown not playing well. Really just been struggling again. Like, this was another game where he could not score. Went 0 of 3, second time this week, and just scored zero points. Nothing there. And he only had six rebounds on the game. Played 16 minutes, so the six rebounds is like you kind of gloss over it. Zero points, you don't gloss over that at all. And you don't gloss over the fact he had four fouls in the first 20 minutes of the game. And something that was just really hurting the Thunder when they were trying to make second efforts in the second quarter was him and offensive interferences he had I think like two or three offensive interferences in this game and it's just the ball rattling around the rim and it looks like for a brief moment it's going to be coming off iron and it's going to be airborne for free play but it's not and every time that situation came up in the game when it's like 50 50 he was going for it just trying to get any sort of points he hasn't seen much daylight lately so I don't blame him for being all maybe even nervous to try to score a basket but he's just a little bit too hyper 
when it comes to trying to get the shots to go in. And honestly, I, I think that this happened in the G League, like in brief stints, but not really in like a just a whole game. Like you're looking at him, like why is he goaltending or why is he getting offensive interferences? That was more Pokashevsky. Poku doesn't do it anymore. Moses Brown, I'd hope this is a one-off game, but he was doing it way too consistently to the point that this game he probably was not even a net a net positive for you at all. Like Tony Bradley should have been out there. He deserved the minutes. And even beyond him, you could have tried to run like a small ball lineup and seen how it worked. They didn't have Roby in this game, so it kind of limited if you wanted to go that route, but you still could have tried it. And it was used just briefly in the game because Bradley only played 20 minutes. Brown only played 16. That's like 12 minutes used up where you didn't have a true center. So they were testing out different kind of parts of the roster for the game. And that's something that I really love from them. But yeah, I mean, the center play was all right with Bradley. Brown, not so much. He needs to sure up there. Teo Maladone and Kendrick Williams, they were struggling as well as Brown, but they've kind of shaken off that in their last two games. This back-to-back set has helped them out equally as much. Like they're they're on the up and up again. And Maladone, he had 14 points on the game, went five of 15. But that's not what I'm most impressed with him for. He had seven rebounds and he also had five assists. And he was in a frame of mind where he was just attacking. Whenever you didn't have guys like Dort and Bays, he was the number one or number two option with Poku, and he would put up high volume shots, and he'd make a good amount of them. Like he'd be getting twenty points a game, but assist wise, he get he'd be getting like two or three. And I haven't read into the numbers exactly, but I believe this might be like one of his highest assist outputs of the month, even at five. He's making great strides there, so I'm happy for him. And then I'm also happy for Kendrick Williams too because he was looking really wobbly shooting wise and he's not anymore he shot 5 of 10 in the game to get 15 points and he also had seven rebounds catch and shoot wise he was viable went two of four and as always he's always going to be doing a sturdy job defending you know one of your top guys anyways so he was all over the floor in the game and then off the bench Ty Jerome and Shima Kailuk they both had double-digit performances. They had 11 points, and they both early went 3 of 5 from 3. And Ty Jerome, he is a very wishy-washy guy, but when he's going, he is going. Like, he has almost like a mini Steph Curry trait about himself, which is wild. He made two 30-footers in the game in a span of like 2 minutes hit a 33-footer, and then followed it up with a 30-footer in the game. And then Shima Kailuk, he's not hitting 30-footers, but he's he's in close to it, and he was hitting really all over the place to score here. But he had a couple nice shots, like mid-range corner, and then, you know, just like some left-wing shots, but he got in his stride as well. So those are two people who can really start lighting you up, and they've kind of made like a small duo off the bench where they can catch you. It's not going to be 100% of the time, but I mean, when they're clicking, it's almost as effective as a starting roster is, to be honest with you. And then they have guys even beyond them that have been effective. I think Jalen Horde has for sure. You saw Justin Robinson in this game too. Justin Robinson, he was a little bit quiet in the game. He only played 10 minutes and didn't even score, 
Jalen Horde on the flip side, he had six points in 15 minutes, hit both of his shots and got to the line. But yeah, I, I think it's great that they're finally looking back onto these kind of younger guys that aren't really long-term pieces, at least unless they prove it. Like they got Justin Robinson on his second 10 day. They haven't utilized him. So I'm happy that we got to see him. And then Jalen Horde, very puzzling why he got pulled because he was looking great. Like he was looking like a potential pickup beyond this year. And then he just got benched. I think it was when Poku came back and it was, it was like, why would you do that? And it's because Bays and Poku and Roby and Williams, all these different guys are getting priority over him because they're guaranteed money and he is not. And we when we get Gabriel Deck, it might be another situation where Jalen Horde's not guaranteed minutes, but every single time he's touching the floor, he's giving you a reason to play him. So I don't see why we even benched him in the first place. Had a beautiful up and under move that he took right around the basket. Like he's driving in, you know, sticks the ball up like midair, like as high as he can stretch it, gets a pump fake, and then just goes right up for an easy two points. He has those kind of plays all the time and finishing at the basket. He's, he's great. And he's great at dribbling over there as well. It's a thing where with like Baisley where he can't hit the three, but he's like the older version of Baisley in his like rookie year or whatever. He's still extremely raw, but you definitely see some potential with him. Do we pick him up beyond the year? I, I don't know. And with Deck and everybody, maybe it wouldn't happen, but he definitely deserves time with someone else if we're not going to, you know, use him beyond our season because he's definitely earned every single possession he's had with our team but yeah I mean he's been good I think the team they've been really close in these last couple ones to the victories just have not been able to get them and in their next game they're gonna have kind of a similar situation they're gonna be playing the Indiana Pacers tomorrow they are not doing that great right now and I believe Demonis Sabonis might be on the injury list come the game and he is the man who has just clobbered the thunder ever since he got traded over there and if he's not there it's pretty watered down so it's another team that is kind of hiding in the tank race that may secretly want to drop a game or two to enhance their odds so we're heading over there to play them as i said we're 20 and 38 while the pacers are 26 and 31 on the year so we'll see how it works out for us. Lou Dort is listed as questionable. In tomorrow's episode, I'll make sure to cover that and what is going on with his status. Same goes with everybody else. And I'll also be going into the current NBA standings because it is pretty interesting kind of seeing the different groups happening within the 14-team lottery system. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening. Hope you all have a great rest of your day. And as always, I will talk to you all next time. See ya.